Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the River Avenue Blues Podcast. I'm Joe Polakowski, joined by Jay Gordon. As we promised last episode, if we didn't have any news to break, we would take a bunch of questions. We got a bunch this week, right? Oh, we got uh, we have three people who wrote in, and then what amounts to three people who called in? Some people called in twice. It's a, it's a well, reason. I mean, that's something. You're, you're you're all paying attention, and as always, thank you very much. I think one of the best things that we get from doing this is, um, you know, we hear back from you all, and it means that we're 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 getting out there. It's for a purpose. So these these calls, these questions, we really appreciate them. Absolutely, and I really, I'm really digging the audio questions. I think they fit the medium way better than the written ones. Although, again, if you don't want to call and you want to write in, feel free. We're gonna we're gonna lead off with one of those right now. So, Mike C writes, "I have heard that Andujar is close to untouchable in the organization, but there are continued concerns about his defense at third. Are the Yankees confident his defense can catch up to his offense, or is the great bat enough to put him in an everyday role at the hot corner?" You hit your way into the major leagues most of the time uh, is the way that I've always thought about uh, infield position players. Uh, you, your defense obviously is put at a premium when you get to the major leagues. But in, in my opinion, your bat is the thing that will propel you to the majors. And it sounds like you share that opinion or Brian Cashman shares that opinion with you. Uh, because I, th- we're recording this on Thursday and there was something, he did an interview this afternoon and, you know, basically said, as it stands right now, it's Andahar and Glaber uh, who who are getting those second and third spots. So he seems pretty confident in the Andahar thing, you know, with the whole Bubba Crosby is our center fielder disclosure and everything. Uh, but it, it's, it seems as though they're they're ready to go on that. And I, at this point with Cashman, I tend to believe that if there's not a deal to be made that's to his liking left, uh, left to be had, he's going to go with the guys. Or it's a bluff. I mean, it could be the, the Bubba Crosby bluff, which has become kind of famous for uh, Brian Cashman at this point, to say out in the media, like, look, we're going to go to war with what we got. But in the end, he makes that last-minute deal, and the guy you thought that was potentially going to start from the minors in the majors ends up starting in the minors. Now, is that always wrong? No, there's sometimes good reason for that. Um, and y- you can think about players that were rushed to the majors, uh, but they're, they're probably in the off season was a way more obvious move. And the one guy that I keep thinking about in this position, and y- you can tell me, uh, if you remember was the first time Melky Cabrera. Oh came man. Out. I remember that so well. I was at that first game. So I remember really well, and, and and it was so obvious that he simply, you know, wasn't really ready to be at that position uh, at that moment. But they didn't have a choice, and there was a really obvious choice in free agency available to them that prior year, and they didn't <laughs> take it. And I kept thinking to myself while I watched that game, I kept thinking, you know what, Carlos Beltran would have made that friggin' catch. And, and and I know I'm not the only one who thought that. You're baiting me. You're baiting me and Ben right here. We talk about this all the time. Oh, I know. I know. But, you know, that that's basically the way I feel about it is that, you know, sometimes there's a deal to be made and um, a GM will look back on some of his prior mistakes and say, you know what? 
there is that deal. And I, I still really and, and we talked about this uh, maybe last week or the week before. I still think that, you know, Todd Frazier's out there and it doesn't really look like his market is growing tremendously. And his his um, he could end up taking a one year deal at this point. Uh, it really wouldn't shock me. Nothing in this market would shock me. Yeah, and 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 we've read a lot of these um, these articles, and I know you uh, you talked a lot about passing and um, and some of the stuff that's been going on in the market where it feels collusiony, it seems collusiony, but no one really wants to come out and say it because you know what they they both both sides agreed to where we're at right now. Yeah, I and again I. Re- Everybody was treated to the 15-minute rant from earlier, uh, but to me, it's it's more. I mean, it's, it's semantics. Is it is, is it teams over optimizing or is it collusion? Uh, but it, it's going to even if you know Darvish gets paid and and Hosmer gets paid and Mustakis gets paid, guys like Frazier are they're definitely going to get left behind in this market. There's no doubt about it. And that's why I feel like there's a deal to be made there, even if it's a one-year deal, where. You can still have Anduar on your your roster and playing third base probably sometime midseason without it really being a big problem. You can tell Frazier, look, you're going to play a little first. You're going to play a little this. You're a team guy. You get what we're doing here. And I don't think that he would really – I don't think he would probably take a problem with it. I think that he – I really think that he's the kind of guy that would be happy to bring a guy like Anduar on. But – you know he is a a professional, and I think that he wants to get his his money if it's possible. It's just unfortunate that in this uh, current environment, it's 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 slow moving for the players who aren't the really top tier, and even the really top tier haven't signed anything yet. Exactly, it's uh, and it's, it's it's obviously a shame for the guys who have earned the right to you know get the you know they they should be by the design of the system be getting their contracts now when they're not. But guys like Frazier, who this is their chance to cash in, they're the ones that are like super losing out on this. Again, like Darvish is going to get paid. Hosmer's going to get paid. Misakis is going to get paid. Frazier, he's probably going to take a one-year deal, and he's going to be stuck doing that for a long time. And that's tough for a guy who's more who's over 30. Yeah. It's, it's going to be a strange market. And, you know, as the recording of this, Howie Kendrick, uh, of those like over 30 guys, you know, he got – uh, a two-year deal today, which was uh, something to actually see. That's a change. Uh, let me see what his deal was. Like two years, seven million, though. Yeah, and, and that's that's really shocking uh, because you thought that he was a kind of guy that really lined up well with the Mets, and and he made you know nine and a half million dollars last year. So you had to think that you know he was probably a, a decent fit somewhere in. Um, in that division because it seemed like that's where it started to fit. And, you know, a seven year, $2 million deal just, just seems like such an underpay for that guy. But, you know, maybe the numbers just aren't there anymore. Uh, but anyhow, hey, this is Brian Pollavy here. And I wanted to call to ask about Tyler Wade. It seems that when people discuss the holes at second and third, this off season, uh, rightfully so everyone's pretty damn pumped about Gliber and uh, Miguel Andahar and also talks about cheap external options like Neil Walker or uh, Howie Kendrick. Um, but do you think we're giving up on Tyler Wade too soon? I know he had a pretty disappointing stint last year, um, but 
a lot of people gave up on Judge a little too soon. Do you think it's possible Tyler Wade could have around a league average, maybe 100, 110 WRC plus, as well as playing Stellar D at second and third and stealing some bases? Thanks. Look forward to hearing what you guys say. Brian. So in terms of Tyler Wade, who I've called Corey Wade way too many times, uh, it seems to me like he's a player. I mean, the Yankees seem to like him well enough. He, I don't think I heard his name once come up in as a trade target this off season. So I'm not exer- exactly sure how he, uh, you know, how he shapes up. But he's not a guy who's going to make a top hundred prospect prospect list. He's, I mean, I think he was on one a couple of the top tens last year, but he's almost certainly not going to be on it this year. Um, he did exhaust his rookie status, but I believe Mike mentioned that Baseball America doesn't take that into consideration. Um, so whatever the case. He's a guy who's, you know, he might be might play his way into being an MLB regular, but I think uh, Josh Norris of Baseball America put it best uh, at some point this week, saying that chances are he's got a big league future. He's going to play up there. You're probably going to see him in a utility role, which again is 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 not the worst fate in the world. Uh, but you know, barring something unforeseen, I can see him getting a chance to start. But long term, he's probably not going to fill a, an infield slot for the Yankees. I, I don't. We, we've talked about this particular thing a few times, and it's the fact that when you you move Starlin Castro over to the um, the Marlins, you lost 30 home runs. Uh, it, now, in his entire minor league career, Tyler Wade has hit a total of 16 home runs. So that really gives you an idea about the lack of offensive production that you would get from adding a player like that as an everyday regular. And that's one of the biggest concerns I would I would personally have. It's not the defense because I feel that he's he's a solid defensive player, but what I really feel is that he doesn't really give you the offensive production in the power numbers that is really expected out of your your middle infield nowadays. Um I, I don't see where um, you 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 get that uh, that pop in your infield that you would want. Even a guy that can give you, you know, a good ten home runs from second base a year is better than a guy that you're really not going to expect one a season. And that's why, personally, uh, if the power numbers were a little bit better, I I really uh, I'd, I'd be more for it. But you know, he he just doesn't really impress me with the. The, the total amount of slugging that he produces. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, and I can also see, again, having him be on the front lines to replace replace Castro at second at, at the beginning of the season, but long-term, I, I just don't see it there. Yeah, I mean, granted, he hit seven homers in Scranton, you know, last season. So that's, I, I don't want to make it seem like he's he's never really hit because maybe it finally came on, uh, and that that's well and good. But it it came really in one in one season, that power. Um, and I don't know how sustainable it is. Um, you know, he hit five the year before, seven last year. Um, I just don't know if I wanted to give that to uh, an everyday infielder uh, when I expect a little bit more after having a guy like Robbie Cano at second base and then having absolutely nothing. And I think we recall what that was like. Oh, yeah. Too much. Brian Roberts. Wow. Yeah, the Brian Roberts experiment. Then Drew. Um, like, Stephen Drew was basically a non-factor, even though he somehow or another played the position. 
Um, so I, I, I think that the, the other position players, I mean, the other uh, potential guys for the position, they just provide more pop, and uh, I, I'd rather see them and their solid gloves. Cool. Uh, moving on to the next question, A.B. asks, which pitching prospects do you think we'll see make an appearance in the pinstripes this season, and when do you think we'll see them? Also, what 40-man roster moves do you think will happen in order to, to get them there? Uh, the 40-man is obviously the harder part, uh, harder part to, uh, to answer. You know, Obviously, guys like Jabari Blash don't have a real long-term future with the team, uh, and they're the easier ones to kind of to foist off the roster. But I don't think it's a useful exercise right now to, to go through and figure that out because injuries typically will take care of that. Typically, most teams have to use a 60-day at some point, which you know frees you up a, a 40-man roster spot. So when a guy does come up, you'll, you'll have a free slot. Now, there are definitely players who are more expendable, but at this point in the offseason, you know, given that they've added guys to protect them from the Rule 5, they've gone through a number of avenues to make sure they're using their 40-man in the best way possible. Right now is not when we're going to have the best view of that. But to get to the first part of the question, Adams, I think, is a, is a lock to make an appearance this year. Sheffield. Uh, Sheffield could. I mean, I can see Sheffield spending the entire season in the minors. I th- but I think that um, in in a situation for a spot start, if they had some injuries and they didn't really see that there was the depth there, um, and they needed a lefty, I wouldn't put it past them. Uh, I don't know. I mean, uh, the, if you really look at you know recent history, they they felt comfortable with Severino's age, um, so I don't know if it would be all that. You know, down to think that, you know, he, he's a kid, you know, he's 21. Uh, but I think, you know, he could crack the roster if uh, if a situation happened. And uh, I think it, Mike's I think Mike's really bullish on him making uh, making an appearance in the second half. Uh, just from talking to him a couple of weeks ago, it, it seems like that's, you know, that that again, it's something that could happen. But he's another guy where I could see it if they don't need like it would take a lot for him to force his way into the rotation, I think. Uh, especially if they do, it, it seems like they're going to sign another pitcher, whether it's, you know, whether it's Darvish, whether it's Cobb, or whether it's a trade for someone who's a little low, below that tier, it seems like they're going to make a move. So they're going to have, they're going to go into this, to the season with six starters. So that gives them a cushion to even start with. So, and then you have to fi- you have to think that Adams is ahead of him on the getting promoted chart. I guess if you're talking starters, you know, definitely Adams. And then if, if you're getting into – but let's just th- talk about, I guess, in generalities. Someone comes up with a dead shoulder or something, and you need to get uh, – and, and I'm talking about relievers. So let's go let's go into that world because the, the Yankees are chock full of monster arms that can throw bazillions. Um, and I think one of the first guys, if he doesn't crack out of you know, spring because of an injury from someone else, I think Domingo Acevedo has a, has, has a chance. I think he's a, uh, I think he's a guy that they really really want to see succeed, uh, and the guy that I, I got to be honest, the guy that I'm super looking forward to spring training for, uh, because I've all I've heard about this arm and I want to see it, is uh, Albert Abreu. Um, I I just can't wait for yes to have a day where they get these guys on where you know. Let, let, let's put it here for everybody. If you want to see 100 mile an hour fastballs, and you know, not just from the guys on the major league roster, these are the guys you're going to see it from. 
These are big, big arms. Uh, kids from the Dominican, the Yankees got in. Uh, Abreu came in the McCann trade uh, from the Astros. And uh, Acevedo, Yankees signed him, had a DR in 2012. Uh, th- these are big, big arms that I really got to see uh, in action this year, I think. And, and and I'm just hoping, hoping we get something uh, really pretty out of them in spring. Yeah, I mean, that's what Mike's post was this morning, again, Thursday morning, was about was this is a pitching system now. They have tons and tons of big arms. And, uh, you know, credit to Brian Cash- Cashman and his staff. They've done just a phenomenal job on the international market. You look at their at their top prospects – um, it's not just, you know, it's not just that class of, uh, you know, it's not just that class was 2013, 2014, where they made all those enormous signings, mm-hmm. but they've done a really good job before and after then, uh, working within the system to, to, you know, bring, you know, to bring in the best of the best talent, you know, from the Dominican, from, uh, all the international spots where they, you know, Venezuela, uh, where the, where the heavy recruiting comes from. Uh, and that goes, I mean, Gary Sanchez, you know, one of the, one of the best, let's call him the best catcher in the league. Uh, you know, he was, he was part of that phenomenal scouting system that, uh, that the Yankees have had throughout the, you know, throughout the decades in the Dominican and other places. Yeah. And it, it's going to be really interesting what happens next because, um, you know, the, uh, the U S is, uh, is, is really modifying some of the, uh, the immigration services that are going to impact some of these kids that are going to come over from some of these uh, international countries. And I'm really interested about what the future is for uh, international scouting and uh, getting these kids, uh, as they continue to grow, visas to come over and play. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a really challenging thing, and uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing how the system adjusts in the next few years. Yeah, I mean, we'll get to see it firsthand uh, in in the coming months with Estevan Florial. And that's kind of what I was going to mention uh, specifically is that, you know, Estevan Florial is a, a Haitian native and, um, you know, he may run into some issues this year catching a visa. And it really made me think about how, um, you know, we're, we're going to start running into situations and I don't want to get political or anything on this podcast, but uh, it, this has more to do with the scouting future for uh these um, these baseball organizations, specifically the Yankees, that work with this to find these big big arms and all this talent, is going to become more difficult to bring them over as they continue to you know develop as pitchers out of the Dominican and to come over to the states and start playing in the minors. So and why do you say we move on to the next question? Absolutely. Hey, good afternoon. Uh, my name's Dan Lucia, calling from Massachusetts, originally from Connecticut. Um, got a question regarding the potential Darvish signing or any other free agent pitcher for that matter who's going to command, you know, four, five, six, seven years. Um, with the state of the rotation and the farm system, um, you have Montgomery, Severino. Um, they'll be available for a long, quite a while. Um, <clears throat> Gray for a couple years and Tanaka for a few years. And then with Adams and Sheffield, Abreu, Tate, uh, Perez, and all the other guys who are highly touted coming up, I think signing a pitcher to a long-term deal now, like Darvish, would really hinder them in the long run with these guys coming up. Um, the CC likely will be gone after this year, possibly the next. Um, Gray will be gone in a couple. And these guys can fill in and also do it on the cheap, um, save some money for next year. Um, so I think personally that signing one of these guys to a long-term deal, these starting pitchers, 
would be a bad move because of that, which I don't think anybody's really discussed that it would fill a slot that could be used by a kid coming up. Um, anyways, want to get your guys' thoughts on that. Um, hope all is well, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. You know, I really, you know, I really appreciate the question because while I, I understand your concern, what I really need you to think about is how, in the last few years, the number of organizations that made a decision that a mix of these really important veterans and young pitchers w- was the best thing for the organization. And that veteran pitchers ultimately were able to help get them over the hump. And I want to point to one team. And the reason I want to point to it is because it stings. And that's the Houston Astros. And when they decided to take on the contract of Justin Verlander. It's a very big contract. It's a not so long but not so short contract. But, you know, they could have found someone within their system to fill that space. But do you know something? They made a decision that it was better to win today than to make a maybe okay decision and not go all the way. So personally, um, I stand in a little bit of a disagreement with you, sir, that if you can make the deal to get a U Darvish or a, uh, a Cobb or a guy that's an, a veteran that knows how to um, start and win games because he's been there before, then I really believe that that's the step to getting you another championship. I'm going to go ahead and agree with you on that and I'm going to add to the discussion that one, the Yankee, you know, the, it kind of staggers well with Tanaka's deal. Tanaka has three more year, you know, years left on his deal. Presumably you're not getting Darvish for any less than any fewer than six years. So you have, you know, then you have his six years starting. There's not a ton of pitching that seems to be hitting free agency. I know Clayton Kershaw's Clayton Kershaw's name is on the list, but I don't foresee him hitting free agency. No, I don't think either. I think he won't opt out or whatever that thing is. I think that he'll either get a renegotiated deal and he'll stay for the long term. That he's going to retire with that team. Yeah, I, it, the Dodgers. It's it almost seems like their entire plan is built around him being with them. So I don't think they can really afford to let him go, and they have the resources to keep him. So I don't see him being being a real factor. And you keep looking into the future, and it's you're starting to see again. Every time you're going to see a free agent pitcher hit the market, they're going to be at the stage where Darvish is anyway. So I don't think you're going to do any better than Darvish. The Yankees are clearly going for it in 2018. So you want to put your best foot forward, and you have a Darvish there. I think he's going to have a way better year this year than he had last year. He was a year a year further away from Tommy John surgery. Uh, you know, his he showed some really good peripherals last year. They think they figured out the the whole issue with him in the playoffs. Uh, so I don't th- I don't have any problem with him as a pitcher. And then it, I I totally get the point about the kids. Uh, but again, one you, you can't you can't go making plans on them. Uh, we love to talk about you know again you talk about Adams and uh, prospects and, will break your heart. Totally. Uh, you know Justice Sheffield seems like he's going to be the guy, but who knows what's going to happen with Justice Sheffield? Uh, and again, like especially if. You know these guys. How many guys are going? Are you are you putting through the system that aren't getting Tommy John surgery at some point? So that puts them out for a year. There's rehab. There's so many so many stories of guys not coming back the same after Tommy John surgery. Uh, and yeah, I, I don't think you can go banking on. You could have ten, you know, blue chip, seventy arm pitchers, 
and I still would sign Darvish. You know, and and let's let's just do this real quick. I know this it's a little bit of a herpa derp looking at next year, but you know, next year is Keiko, uh, Marco Estrada, um, you know, Jay Happ, Drew Pomerantz. You know, it's not. A, a, a really a, a group of guys that I'm personally going to say, you know what, hold the books for these dudes. That That's my starting pitching. Mis- no, I mean, I, I got to be honest with you, like a Darvish mixed in with, you know, Tanaka and the rest of the staff. It just sounds like, you know, it, it sounds like hell for the rest of the, the American League East, to be honest with you. So um, I, I'll, I'll go with it this way. If you can add a big arm, I say add that big arm. Let, let's let's move this this team ahead and and finish this offseason with um, you know a Yankees you know starting five that's basically going to stand up against any other organization in the American League. Absolutely, and let those kids let those kids make the statement that you have to put them in the rotation. Yes, uh, I'd much rather have the situation we talked about before where you know Sheffield just you can't not bring him up. Or you can't not trade him for that really, really big player that becomes available midseason. Everybody, let's not forget this. Your minor league system doesn't just exist to give you players for your team. It also exists to give players to other teams so you can get players back for them. And Brian Cashman is really good at that. Yeah, so let's we can look at a guy like Justice Sheffield or we can look at a guy like, um, you know, yeah. Albert Abreu or any of these big arms and we can say at some point another team could say you know we've got so and so who could fill your spot at you know so and so spot and we really think that that'll work out for you we really need the salary relief what do you think it, it makes sense to me so I, I really wouldn't go with this whole idea that you know addition is going to hurt them I think that um, we're all too focused on the, the 197 well I mean Hal call it a, man, a mandate, so. Yeah. Well, what did Exesa call it? Uh, he called it something that they should break this year. And uh, I, I kind of, after reading his uh, his argument, I think I'm a little bit on his side. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That was a great article. That's what uh, Exesa does, everybody. Uh, he writes some of the best stuff uh, it's, that's out there. So thank you again, Mike, for just another great post. And, um do we have anything else or we all settle for the uh we have a question from chris m who has a really this is this is a good question because it's difficult to answer so we can you know bat it around for a little bit uh but he asks which near uh, which near ready minor league starting pitchers could the yankees realistically acquire if they just offered clint frazier one for one and this is tough because challenge trades are so damn rare like it, it is not every day you get a Montero for Pineda, so you're looking. At, you have to look at you know who is what what start you know what starting pitchers are out there, which guys are close, um, and which ones could the Yankees you know reasonably target. And the problem is when you're making a deal like this, <clears throat> you're you know when you're dealing with say the Pirates, the Pirates are almost certainly looking for just the best players they can get back in return, right? They, you know, I don't think they much cared in the in the Cole deal or in the McCutcheon deal, you know, whether they got back players of, you know, where they really needed a player, right? I'm not I'm not too familiar with the Pirates. I don't know where their strengths and weaknesses are, but 
I don't think it would have mattered too much to them. Like if they needed a second baseman and they were they were okay in the outfield, if it was Frazier or you know a B prospect second baseman, I think they would have taken Frazier um, because you're, you're it, it, they're they're rebuilding. They need to get the best players possible. When you're going for a challenge trade like this, it's got to line up where you know you're trading a player, you're trading from a position of depth, which the Yan- Yankees would be from the outfield, but the team that you're trading with has to not only need an outfielder, but has some depth at pitching. Like the Dodgers aren't going to say, yeah, take Walker Bueller. Sure, great, great, great. Yeah, we'll take him for Clint Frazier. It's it's just not really going to happen. And the same thing with a guy like a Brent Honeywell. Like these are players that these teams have invested so much time into their development at a high level that, you know, you're like I know that it, it would be tempting to say like, Hey, let's 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 see about getting like Alex Reyes for like Clint Frazier and Gleyber Torres, and you know what? The, the, the I mean, St. Louis would probably say yes. Oh hell yeah! If you put Gleyber in there, you're gonna go get almost any prospect. In there. Yeah, yeah, but that's what you would have to give up, and I think that that's what the other people need to understand. Like Clint Frazier is a good player, but you're not gonna get one of those like top ten pitching prospects for him. Uh, you're, you're gonna have to take. You know, for Clint Frazier, you can get another high-end prospect, but you're not going to get a top-10 pitching pitching kind of guy. I'll go a step further, too, is, you know, beyond it being the difficulty of this kind of challenge, is I think if the Yankees were going to trade Frazier, it would be for someone a little bit more established. Absolutely. It, it there, There's a reason why Clint Frazier is still on the club right now, and it's because that there was nobody on the other side, I think, that was really something that they felt like he was worth moving uh, for. Uh, and, and apparently they didn't feel like moving him for Garrett Cole was in their best interest. And uh, and it didn't work out. And that's okay because sometimes these deals don't get done and you, you end up working out all right on your end. Oh, and I, I, can, you know, I can see many, many different situations where Frazier gets, you know, 300 at bats in the majors this year and that's that's fine you know that's gonna that's gonna work out well for him it's gonna work out well for the team i'm in no rush to trade clint frazier not at all it seems like a lot of people are and i'd be on i'm really honest about it and i I mentioned it that i think this is a year actually you move gardner if you can move gardner sometime in this offseason i think that this is the year to do it um clear up that salary and go get darvish the only reason I think is because I don't feel that the Ellsbury situation is changing. I don't believe he's going to leave. I don't think that they're going to be able to trade him. I think you got to deal with the situation with the same way you deal with any other kind of albatross player. And, and I really think back to those really kind of awful years with Giambi, where the, those really bad years with Giambi, where you just said, you know what? He's on the roster. There's nothing you can do about it. Absolutely nothing, and and you live with it. But what did you think of Joel Sherman's idea of trying to convince the Rockies to trade them Desmond for Ellsbury? I mean, it's not going to happen. I mean, I I know there's the whole like change of scenery will help both of them and negate some bad contracts on both sides and yadi. It's just it doesn't work for me. I think that you're stuck with Jacoby Ellsbury, and and you have to start making alternative uh, decisions. Uh, and I think that it, as unpopular of a move it would be, um, I think that for a business standpoint, Gardner probably makes the most sense because this is his last year. It's it's a 
you know, it's another player or it's a draft pick. You need to make that decision. I think that, you know, again, that opens up a lot of at-bats, even more at-bats for Frazier. Because if you move, if you move Gardner, all you're really doing is, I'll, you know, you're, you're giving it to Hicks, period. You know, Hicks is the center fielder. Cashman said that already. Uh, but I think if you move Gardner, I think you're basically saying that one of Judge and Stanton's going to DH, the other one's going to play right field, and then you're going to get, you know, you're going to get Frazier and Ellsbury reps in left field, and I think Frazier's going to get a lot of them as the season goes on. I agree, and if, uh, and I think also there is a, there's going to be a time where they're both going to play left and right. It's going to happen. Mm-hmm. You oh, know, it's going to be fun. You know, you're going to have both adult sons in the outfield <laughs> and there's going to be, you know, um, Hicks in the center field basically flying around, making sure that he's getting those those uh, <laughs> spots on the other side of him, you know, covered. But I, I think that um, that extra guy that especially late in games has to be a great outfielder. And I, I really just don't want to see Gardner in that position where he's not going to get the at bats. I just, I really think that this is the, 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 the right time, uh, and as you know, and, and I'm going to refer to another Mike piece, but you know, is moving uh, David Robertson to get somebody, you know, a little bit more breathing room for uh, a trade makes sense to you? I, I don't know. I think it does make some sense. Well, that was actually Stephen Tidings. Oh, that was Tidings. Who, Sorry, Stephen. Yeah, and you know, and actually, funnily enough, we're talking about the idea of uh, moving Gardner, and you know, that's you know, what thirteen million off the books. Uh, Sonny is going to write the case similarly to, to Robertson for trading Gardner. So you know, we're kind of batting the idea around here. Uh, in the next couple of days, Sonny said he's going to put together some thoughts on why that you know a little more depth than what we're going to be able to provide here. Great. All right. Well, you know what, everybody. I have had a very long day, um, but a lot of it was thinking about how great this podcast was going to be. So I think that I have expended all my time speaking with you all this week. Joe, I wanted to say thank you for spending some time with me and talking Yankees. Always a pleasure. And uh, everyone, uh, thanks again for all your questions. Uh, Joe will make sure that uh, he puts the phone number on the tweet when we put out the podcast. Leave us more messages. Send us an email, riveravblues at gmail.com. It's riveravblues at gmail.com. You know how to follow us on Twitter, riveravblues. Go check out the Facebook. Uh, We we really work hard on that. And, uh, you know, just keep your eyes open. We're going to continue to do some more cool stuff. Uh, Thanks a lot, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. See you later, Joe. See you, Jay. Bye-bye.